Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 328, recorded September 27th, 2020. We're going back to the Gold Key Well with issues 49 through 51. Yep, we're getting pretty far along with Gold Key. Um, yeah. We're over three quarters. Uh, three yeah, quarters? there's only ten episodes, ten issues left. So. Oh, only ten left. Wow, okay. We are almost done. Wow. Uh, so we, we should really appreciate this while we're still reading them. Right. And I will say that I think these issues, or at least the first two, um, I liked. I liked them quite a bit. They were different than normal Gold Key, I thought. Yeah. I mean, definitely the first one's interesting in that it's a sequel of one of their old comics. No, that's so that's second. kind of interesting. No, the first one's a sequel to an actual episode, and then a sequel to oh, you're a right. comic. So yeah. issue fifty is a sequel to their own comic, yes. Which uh, they had never done before, and they never no, done a sequel to uh, an episode, so that was good too. Are you sh- oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I'm probably thinking of uh, UK comics or something. I don't know, but I. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, the only thing they've done in Gold Key that was a, a, at all a nod to a previous uh, issue was mm-hmm. they brought back McCoy's daughter. Oh. You know, she was in the King Kong episode, and then she nah. was in the, the, the fish one. Yeah, it's a recurring character. Yeah. Um, did, so did, did Gold Key ever have a Harry Mud? Uh, nope. Okay. Well, that, that's so. that's really kind of the asset test, right? <laughs> Harry Mud, probably the most often used recurring character. Uh, and, of course, something that makes you very happy. So. Oh, yeah. I love Harry Mud. <laughs> love me some Harry Mud. Yeah, the first two are, you know, they're pretty good. I mean, well, for Golki, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get into it more, but issue 49, that is a sequel. It's like, I didn't necessarily like that Taz episode that much. I never really thought that much of it. It's, you know, you know, there's some Taz episodes, like, when it used to be on, it's like, oh, I gotta see this one. Ooh, sitting on the edge of forever. Oh, yeah, I gotta see this one. Uh, Doomsday Machine, gotta see that one. And this one? Uh, no, I, I, I never really wanted to see that one too much. Uh, what, Metamorphosis? So, that was the original Taws episode. Um, anyway, so, we should get on with it. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm doing the first one, and the title of issue number 49 is A Warp in Space. Published date, November 1977. The writer is George Cashdan, and the art is by Alden McWilliams. The cover shows the Enterprise in the warm embrace, or perhaps iron grip, of a space cloud with a beautiful woman's face. The text reads, The companion plunges the Enterprise into a starless void. Of particular interest is the pleasant light coming out of the closed shuttle hangar bay doors. Very odd. It's not a window, guys. It's a shuttle bay. 
The Enterprise enters the Canaris Galaxy on a mission to locate and retrieve multiple experimental hyperwarp spacecraft. According to tracking equipment, when the test vehicles reached warp 13, 13, they disappeared from the known universe. The Enterprise approaches planet Gamma Canaris N, which reminds Kirk and Spock of the last time they traveled to that world. Flashback. They were in a shuttle traveling to rendezvous with the Enterprise, where they expected to get medical treatment for Assistant Federation Commissioner Nancy Hedron. They were pulled off course by a cloud to the planet where they met Zephram Cochran, the human inventor of warp drive, or discoverer of warp drive, whatever. Cochran tells them of the cloud creature he calls the Companion. It was responsible for rejuvenating him to a relatively youthful, healthful state. He theorizes the companion brought them to Gamma Canis N to give Cochrane some human company. They tell Cochrane they cannot visit too long as the commissioner needs to get to the Enterprise for treatment or she will die. Long story short, Nancy is near death when the companion enters her, Uki, and they share her body. Cochrane is happy, at least partially due to Nancy being uh, pretty hot. Kirk and company enter the shuttle and take off expecting to never see Cochran or Nancy again because they need to keep the whole thing secret to keep people from bothering them. Fast forward to the present and Kirk thinks they could tap Cochran's warp drive expertise to help them find where the hyperwarp ships went. They beam down and ask Cochran for his help. He is willing to help but the Nancy-slash-companion combined entity does not want Cochrane to get involved. Cochrane and Spock work together on the problem, but they keep hitting into mathematical roadblocks. Cochrane gets Nancy-slash-companion to admit she is messing with their minds. He says she is doing it to protect Cochrane and the other humans. She says they are tampering with forces their science can't understand. Cochran calls it Poppycock and gives Kirk and Spock instructions on how they can modify the Enterprise's nacelles to replicate hyperwarp speeds where the experimental ships were lost. Kirk thanks Cochran and they leave. Nancy slash companion knows if Kirk and company try to go that fast, they will be in imminent danger. The companion leaves Nancy's body and she collapses into Cochran's arms. Nancy reverted to her close-to-death state without the companion's help. As the Enterprise approaches hyperwarp speeds, the ship is enveloped by the companion in cloud form. Though shocked at first, Kirk comes to think of the companion as helping them and does not attempt to fight her. The Enterprise suddenly finds itself in a region of null space with no visible stars, but they immediately see the experimental hyperwarp ship along with a lot of cloud creatures just like the companion. They find out the crews of the experimental ships died when their ships traveling at warp 15 transitioned into the null space. The companion was able to protect the Enterprise in its transition to the null space. Kirk realizes the companion saved him and the lives of his entire crew. Other cloud creatures say Kirk must leave their space, but the companion must stay with them. 
Though Scotty rightly points out the cloud creatures are calling all the shots, Kirk decides they owe Zephram Cochran and the Companion a debt that they can not repay unless they get the Companion back to Gamma Canaris N in time to save Nancy. That's a long sentence. Sorry. Kirk orders Scotty to get their nacelles modified in ten minutes. Then they are hyper-warping back to the Milky Way. Scotty completes the mods, and they warp away from the Null Zone with the Companion aboard the ship. They survive the transition and set course for Gamma Canaris N. The Companion enters Nancy's body again and rushes into Cochrane's arms. How romantic! Having accomplished their mission, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam back to the ship and leave Cochrane and Nancy to their solitary but loving life. Kirk reports all the test pilots died and recommends that the hyperwarp ship program be ended. The end. So, what about this issue? Did you appreciate it? Like I said earlier, I wasn't the biggest fan of Metamorphosis, which was a Season 2, Episode 9 episode. I, you know, It was an okay episode. I mean, it was interesting that they actually told us who invented warp drive, so that's kind of cool. Right. Um, but uh, I, Glenn Corbett is the Glenn Corbett. Yeah, I think it's Glenn Corbett was the actor that that played Cochran. I think I like James Cromwell better <laughs> as Cochran. Yeah. So it so it, them choosing this particular Taz episode to do a sequel to is is an interesting choice. So I guess they they thought they had enough uh, story to to do this, and it's okay. You know, it's 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 pretty good. You know, right? Yeah. So it's 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 good. Yeah. Now, what's funny is that uh, out of all the Star Trek episodes out there to just randomly watch, I, I did just a few months ago choose to watch this one. Ah. just because. I was like, what yeah, I, I, I want to rewatch the Cochrane episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still like that one. I do still think it's funny that they just let the creature take over that woman's body. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it and here it kind of implies that they're both characters. Like, she's still there and, and the entity's there. But yep. in the show, that's not implied. It's just like, oh, no, she's dead, and now it's the entity, uh, the companion or whatever. So I never liked that because it seemed like you... You basically killed one crew member who may or may not have died anyways due to her disease, but you still don't just give away the body to a, another creature. You yeah. wouldn't feed a dead crew member to a Gorn just because, hey, he's dead. Go ahead. You can eat him. You know? or, or apparently a Klingon. So apparently that's a thing now as of Discovery. Yeah. I also find the whole thing a bit ooky, the idea that they're sharing the same body. I mean... Two entities with their own wills sharing the same body. And I know that kind of thing has been, what, Firestorm? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, so I know that kind of theory or that idea has been uh, looked at in other formats. But this is her body, uh, Nancy. Sharing it with a totally alien creature, I think that's ooky. I agree, but uh, at least here it kind of it, it's implied that it's consensual that she well yeah she yeah. she's allowing the entity to live in her to keep her living and to you know give Cochrane someone to squeeze on <laughs> and what okay so two different apparently female consciousness uh, is in the body and they both it's a good thing they both love Cochrane so much 
Because yeah. otherwise, it's like when, when he's the only the person there, you're probably going to fall in love with the person. <laughs> <laughs> well, we you're all the only that, person I will ever see for the rest of my life. I might as well love you. <laughs> well, <laughs> for personal, I mean, I think uh, all of our experience uh, with human uh, love is love is a complicated thing. It comes and goes, and uh, having two people on one half of it. He's sharing the same body? That's that's weird. But, okay. Whatever. It's a story. But it's a, an interesting, I guess it's an interesting uh, path to explore, which is what Star sure. Trek's all about. Exactly. The human condition. And alien condition. So, back in 1977, right? That's when this issue came out? Yeah, 77. So, Star Trek was already in syndication at this point, right? So, it was like one of the few shows that were in syndication where you could watch reruns all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been a long time, but I mean, I seem to remember Lost in Space and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and, and other shows like that being around in syndication. But yeah, they, they there may not have been as many back then. So I'm just saying that um, as a kid reading, yeah. you're buying Star Trek off, off the shelf, you're spending your 30 cents to exactly. get this issue. Right, yeah. Um, do you need five pages of recap of that issue or that episode. <laughs> I mean, there's only 20-something pages total, and five of it is a yeah. recap of the episode. I, I, and I think we've pointed this out on other comics that have done the same kind of thing. No, I certainly didn't need it. I mean, it's... When, when I synopsisized what went on, I, I made it as sure as I could. Right. Because of exactly that. We know, what, we know what's going on. Anybody, right. the few people listening to this... They know. They saw the episode. So so my thing is, is that, I mean, it's one thing to do it like if it was an issue of your own book, right? So yeah. like like last week when um, we did that John Byrne one that just randomly brought in a storyline that he'd created like in issue four, and now we're in issue 13 or whatever. Right. He should have had some sort of footnote to say, hey, this is a continuation of that, which he didn't. And I and I and I, and in that situation, I needed that little reminder of, oh yeah, this is a continuation of something I've done a couple. I started a couple of years ago. Whereas this, I think they went too far the, that that way, where they're saying, all right, here's everything that was in that episode again. So Donovan, you you can't be pleased is basically the situation. I, I'm saying that there needs to be a, a middle ground. <laughs> and yeah. I think in the next issue, I think. I think they do. They might have go a little too far with the over explanation of the past, um, mm-hmm. but at least in that situation, it's not. Not everybody picked up that issue from years ago. Yeah. Uh, whereas a TV show that's in syndication that you would have been, you could have potentially been exposed to. And I know things were different back then, as opposed to now, where you could just go and. Netflix and stream the episode so Anything. you don't necessarily need to yeah you can't go back and no you, you can't just go back and randomly watch an episode back yeah then. so oh, back no. in the day now you was just you may not have ever seen the Zephyr and Cochran episode and this was very helpful for you so uh, yeah I, I, I see why they put it in there but I also think that uh, it's five pages that they could have spent explaining it in a different way right but uh, aside from that part, I really like this issue. I love the artwork. I mean, I wish the warp ships had a more detailed design as opposed to being a saucer section with nacelles stuck to the side. Uh, it's literally a flying saucer with two tampons stuck to them. Oh, wow. 
Yes, that is actually what it looks like. <laughs> I mean, look at it. I mean, it's I, I it's 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 uh, it's cone shaped. You know, like the, like the front of a, a rocket. It's cone shaped on both sides. So where, where where's where's the exhaust going to come out anyway? But yeah, it's literally and and they got like five of them. Why did they have five of them anyway? Because they were testing them. But but, but you if test one at one a time. Is, yeah, you test one. They turn the lizards. You send the next one. <laughs> I know, but they but okay. They, I guess we don't know the details, but it seems like they were all going the warp speed at the same time. Oh really? But, I took it. Uh, I took it that it was five different. Uh, Tries at it, and the same yeah. thing happened in all of yeah, them. They're it's like, like, oh, 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 we, oh we tried five times. Uh, I guess we ran out of ships. Okay. <laughs> send the Enterprise. After we, after we lose five, we'll send the Enterprise. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, uh, but anyways, as far as the artwork goes, I, love, I loved watching uh, the Enterprise in this space in the with, the, with the clouds and everything. Yeah. To me, it just looked really cool. And you see the Enterprise like upside down at points, mm-hmm. and you're like, you don't ever see that, especially like on the cover, which I think is a beautiful cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's nice. I, it's something that you don't see in a gold key comic. You don't see that dynamic stuff all that often. It's usually just like kind of a static shot of the Enterprise with with maybe fire coming out of the nacelles, you know? Right. I agree. I think the ships, the the, the space scenes are very good. And I got to fault, though, uh, the people, the drawings of the people. So there are rare instances where Kirk looks like Shatner. And there are many more panels where that's not the Shat. Uh, not even close. So it is I, weird I, I how wasn't, inconsistent it is. It's very like, inconsistent. Just from page to page, he looks like very two different. different. Yeah, it's like there's multiple artists going here. I don't know. But there are some panels where it does look like Shatner. Right. So, I mean, they're, they're not all way off. It's just weird inconsistencies. Right. Um, you know, the same thing, I think, a little better with Spock. And then McCoy is kind of haphazard, too. <laughs> um, right. And, and, and how about Cochran in the first place? They, they chose to draw Cochran as not like Glenn Corbett at all, but actually an older man. So Glenn Corbett looked like he was in his 30s. I mean, he looks like he could be a, a Starfleet captain, you know, kind of thing or something. You know, big, rugged, you know, good-looking, whatever guy. And then here they chose to make Cochran, and maybe it's a little more realistic, I don't know, but maybe make somebody at least in his 40s, maybe 50s. He's, he's all silver uh, hair, but he looks in good shape. Um, and very receding hairline. He has a tuft of hair at the, at the widow's at the peak front, and then right. the sides. Right. And he combs it all back till it looks like a mohawk. <laughs> Almost a mullet. So, yeah, it's so interesting choice. Looks nothing like Len Corbett. So I was just thinking about what he looks like. And I was thinking, really? Who he looks like is... Are you familiar with Jack Cassidy? Do you remember Jack Cassidy at all? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I don't recollect who it is. Well... Uh, Jack Cassidy is David Cassidy's father and okay. Shirley Jones's husband. So, you know, Shirley Jones, Mrs. Partridge. Yeah. And there's a particular panel in the comic that I compared with a photo I found on the internet. And they do, they, they look pretty close. So. Yeah, I just did an internet search and uh, <clears throat> I can see it. Right. Especially with that mustache. 
Yeah, yeah no, picture... you're... man, some of these pictures look just like this guy. Yeah, so I think sometimes the um, the artists will, you know, maybe take somebody that they've seen and use them as a uh, like a model for how they want to make somebody look. Right. Uh, and, and I, I just, I just see some similarities here, maybe, possibly. Good call. Good call. Yeah. On the other hand, Nancy does not look like the actress. I mean, they're both brunettes, but I think the Nancy in the comic book is a lot more, mm, a little more curvy. Than the actress yeah. in the uh, in the TV show. Episodes. Yeah, she almost has like a Betty Page type oh, hairstyle, kind of. Yeah. And some of the and little skirts she wears and stuff looks a little there Betty Page-ish. Yeah. And some and some she looks like she's wearing a one piece bathing suit for no obvious reason. Right. I mean, did she just come from the pool? Is that <laughs> is that why she's in that you know dotted almost leopard skin kind that of leopard uh, skin thing? It's like okay. Maybe. I mean, every opportunity <laughs> to make her look hot. She changes clothes often in this Right. Thing. Yep. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, not bad. I mean, good artwork. Just sure. interesting choices. And I did like the shots where it showed the entity, like, I don't know, entering her mouth or exiting her mouth. Like, no. It just <laughs> depends. And it always looks like she's just, like, blowing a big smoke. Uh, not, smoke not even, like, a not smoke, a smoke ring. It's like. A, a pillow, a pillar of smoke. Yeah. <laughs> she's been vaping, and she's really making the cloud. Right. Did you ever see the movie The Hidden? Mm, nope. It was with uh, Kyle MacLachlan. In that one, two warring aliens enter people's bodies, and the bad guys are like a slug kind of thing, so they look disgusting. And mm. then the good, the good aliens, oh, actually, actually, I think it's more like a twinkling lights, not a, not a cloud. But anyway, they come in and out. Oh, mouth. So, anyway, I have got to. Yeah. So the last thing I have is that short space battle with the hyperwarp ships and the Enterprise. Yeah. I thought that was total filler. Um, yeah. I mean, they weren't really. Well, they were damaging so, it. Well, they had, the, they had the shields up. They were okay. Mm-hmm. The Enterprise. So the clouds got into the warp ships. And decided that they were able to control the weapons control. And why would you put weapons in an experimental craft anyway? Anyway, I just thought it was totally unnecessary. Yeah, that's it. That's the last thing I have to say. Um, my last thing is I did not like the dialogue between Kirk and Scotty. When Scotty's like, I, you know, he's having to do something that he's never done before. Oh. To get the Enterprise back to normal space. Oh, right. right. And Kirk's like, you have five minutes, you know. Like, <laughs> he's like, I'm doing the fast I can. And he's like, do it faster. <laughs> like, it's like, I get that he's the miracle worker, but gee whiz. Exactly. Yeah, he was kind of pressure filled. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when they got into the null space, it was actually the companion that took them into null space. Right. Even though when they started... I thought they were starting to do the the simulation hyperspace thing, but apparently not. So she just swept them up, took them in the null space, and saved them. And then Scotty had to get it all working on the other side from null space, which right. I didn't get that at first, but apparently that was the case. Yeah, it didn't really make sense. Yeah, yeah. It, in hindsight, I guess it does. Although in reading it, that wasn't clear to me. Okay, we ready for number two? 
Or should uh, I say issue 50? 50. This is their 50th issue. Yeah, sure. I get this one. It's good, because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so issue 50 is entitled The Planet of No Life. And it came out January of 1978. The writer was Arnold Drake and art by A. McWilliams. The cover shows Kirk lying on a scorched desert landscape, holding his hand up to the sky, presumably about to die shortly. And then the caption reads, Kirk must die for the Enterprise to survive. So then the first page is teaser, and it shows Kirk turning into a skeleton as a man in a beret yells at him that he needs the anti-radiation drug or he will vanish. So then the actual story starts much earlier. Kirk and the company are about to receive a new crew member. His name is Lieutenant Gents. And he just happens to be the son of a high-ranking Federation member. The crew all worry that he will expect special treatment due to his father's status. The young lieutenant beams over, and he is a long-haired, red-headed kid. He immediately confronts Kirk and says that he doesn't want to be here, and that he's only here because his father pulled some strings. He says that he's not a Starfleet career man. He expects no special treatment, but he does say he will do what he's ordered, but he's only going to do the minimum amount required, since, uh, again, he is not planning on playing in Starfleet for very long. So he does not have to shine as a super crewman. Later, the Enterprise arrives to what they say is an uninhabitable planet, only to start getting messages from the people who live there, despite how hostile the planet is. They are informed via text message that, that they are intruding. They scan the language to discover that it is from Scenaria. And then we get a nice little flashback. So we're treated to the flashback of issue number 41, so only nine issues ago, where the people of Sonoria are found out to be the ancestors of a spacefaring noseless race. The noseless ones come back after generations of traveling in space, and they want to repopulate their homeworld, and they don't want to share it with their ancestors. Or I guess it would be more their, their descendants. The people that are living there, plus with the help of the Enterprise, they're able to rebuff the uh, spacefaring Sonorians, the noseless ones. Back to the present, the Sonorians agree to let Kirk and one other beam down. But they have to send over some drugs via the FedEx rocket, which somebody has to actually do a spacewalk in order to catch and bring back in. Kirk and Jens take the drug, which has some side effects where they run high temperatures and all this jazz, uh, but they uh, recover, and now that they can beam down and survive on the planet. When they beam down, they're greeted by a woman in a swimsuit, and she escorts them via flying saucer to the underground city. Kirk and Jens take in the sights. They even try the food, and they're talking about how great it is down there. And eventually they meet with the leader. The leader tells them that the planet is divided into two beliefs. The builders like himself, want to stay on the planet and continue to thrive on this planet despite the hostile conditions. And then there are the returners who want to return to Sonoria despite being rebuffed the last time. So as expected, you can imagine that Kirk is not very popular with the returners. 
So speaking of the Returners, they take this as a good time to throw a coup and take over the government. During all this, Kirk and Gents are captured, and they're also denied any more anti-radiation drug. So their original dose is starting to wear off, and how it manifests itself is that their skin and muscle starts to become transparent, leaving only skeleton. Gents then starts to beg for more of the drug, even offering to kill Kirk himself if his captors deem it. Meanwhile on the Enterprise, McCoy works up something that will convert the lifeless surface into a lush landscape and make it more habitable for the people on the planet. Spock contacts the new leadership, and he actually contacts everybody. He's on, he's on every TV on the planet. And he tells them that they will share this discovery if they will release the captain and gents. The people on the planet don't believe, since they could never do it, then how could Spock and McCoy do it within just a few minutes? So Spock orders a test. A small sample of the surface is treated, and then they plant two trees. On one side, the untreated side, the tree immediately dies. And then on the tree, on the treated side, the tree starts to flourish. The returners see that the people are now backing the Federation and the builders, and the leader of the returners tries to shoot Kirk out of spite. Seeing that he's lost, might as well kill Kirk on the way out. Just as he's pulling the trigger, Jens jumps in front of the bullet and dies instead. The people then break into the room and save Kirk and dispose of the coup's rebels. Later, back on the Enterprise, Kirk is treated by McCoy and they discuss how Jens and they discuss Jens's unexpected bravery. The leader of the planet then contacts them and thanks them for all their help and he hopes that they will come and visit their prospering planet soon the end a sequel to their own storyline gold key's own storyline so there you go so the returners was that the name of the uh the earlier or the victors was the name of issue 41, 41. yeah and so which which i really like that issue I, I thought that one was good where what would what would happen if uh you know somebody from earth came back generations later and say Hey, this is still my planet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in that one, Zotar and uh, the Sonora, uh, Sonora people, right? W- when they came back to that planet in issue 41, w- the people that were there, they were their descendants, right? They're right. not a whole different set of people coming in and saying, oh, here's a planet, let's go ahead and settle. It was right. their own descendants that they right. tried to kick off. Exactly. Hmm. And because they had sublight speed craft, it took, you know, they were gone for a huge amount of time. I forgot how big, how, how long it was. So they had evolved differently, I guess, by the time they came back. Yeah, I thought Zotar was a poop head. <laughs> right. It was not reasonable at all. No. But it did, it, uh, that, that story didn't really explain that they were on another planet, right? There was no, no, no other well, they, planet. They hadn't got to, It was really yeah. implying that they were... They were in that ship the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So they left. So they were rebuffed for coming back and reclaiming their planet. So they had to go ahead and find a different planet. So you think that they built this city just within the last nine uh, issues? Because I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying they're. I thought they were there a long time. Like, like this is where they were living when they came back to Zolt to get the their original planet. 
So they were on two planets, which they never talked about in issue 41. No. So right. they, they made it sound like this was the only game in town for them. So because it's sublight generational craft that they're dealing with, they can't go around and just like, oh, look at this solar system. Hey, right. you got any habitable worlds? No. Okay, let me go to the next solar system. No. You know, you know they, they don't have the kind of uh, technology to be able to do that. So I thought they had no other options when they came back to that planet. And then, and I know time-wise, this doesn't necessarily jive 100% with everything, but I, I thought that after being rejected, taking back their old world, they had to go and find some new place. And I think I might have mentioned this when we did the review before. It's like, well, why didn't the Federation help them relocate? I mean, right. isn't that what the Federation does? No, you can't take this over, but we'll find you a different world. And we will help you because we know your, your sub-light speed, so you can't get to any place fast. We will help you to get faster to a habitable world. I mean, that would have been the Star Trek thing to happen. But I think they didn't, and whatever, they let them go, and they just ended up on this world, which really wasn't 100% habitable, but they were able to adapt uh, with these anti-radiation drugs. That's what I thought happened. But the timeline doesn't make any sense, right? right? It hasn't been 10 years for the Enterprise crew. But apparently, I mean, it seems like they've been in the, on this world a while, and, and I completely agree with you. So that does, that's an inconsistency. But Right. Yeah, I took it that they had this planet, and then that the Returners went to go back, and then they got rebuffed and came back here, even though this, this planet was never mentioned in issue okay. 41. Well, that's another way to explain it. And the long synopsis that they inserted in here, or a recap, mm-hmm which, you know, I, I don't remember them saying anything one way or the other about that. Right. No, I don't think they do. Yeah. Not, not here. Right. But, again, we're overthinking it. <laughs> <laughs> as, is, I, as we are often doing. But I kind of like, I, again, I like this one because, one, it, it had history to it. And, two, I mean, I, I could totally see, I mean, just because they didn't tell us that in the first issue, they also weren't very talkative. They were just like, this is our planet. Get off of it. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. These, yeah. these returners were kind of poop heads, right. as you mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, and then like you, now you learn a little bit more. Oh, that wasn't the whole people. That was just a small little faction, you know, that was more militaristic and wanted to take back what, what was theirs kind of thing. But most of the people are perfectly happy living in this, you know, you know, it's a rough world, but they've made the best of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're eating drumsticks made out of green moss and things like that. So, you know, they're, uh, they're doing okay. <laughs> right, right. Well, th- didn't they adapt the green moss or green spooge, whatever it is, into a tasty burger? Everything. Sausage, uh, drumsticks, exactly. everything. Exactly. Might yeah, not I be did. a big kahuna burger, but yeah. they were reacting well when Kirk and, and this, this new guy were uh, partaking. Yeah, that's such a that's such a weird panel where it shows like this uh, Chef Boyardee guy. Hmm. <laughs> He's like holding up a plate, and then Kirk's like <sighs> he like has his little pinky finger out, and he's like, "Oh, this is so cute," you know? <laughs> <laughs> like the stereotypical like French cuisine uh, uh, inspector reviewer or, or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a restaurant reviewer. Yeah, re- restaurant reviewer. Yeah, it's just weird panel. A weird panel. Yeah. But I guess talking about well, then when you read the panel, you see the panel and you're like, oh, "What is this?" 
and then you read it, and it gets even worse. They're like, oh, this is made out of green slime. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, it was funny. I laughed. Hotly. I actually laughed out loud when I saw that. Oh, God. Okay, I didn't, but... <laughs> <sighs> yeah, something you alluded to also is they did go into some amount of detail on how certain things happen and that, instead of just saying, oh, they got the medicine. Yeah, right. And they just moved on. I mean, they bothered showing the rocket coming up from the planet. Later, when they actually did the demonstration, they actually had two different rocket probes that the Enterprise launched. One sprayed the agent in the air, and then the other one actually has a helicopter popping out of the top of it. And that's the one that planted the trees in the two different places. It's like, wow, you guys really thought about this, didn't you? Right, they dropped two, two <laughs> trees from heli- from uh, from the helicopter one on, on little yeah. parachutes. <laughs> it's like, wow, that is it something. Was so funny. Yeah, I wanted to put, I mean, the, so the green one, or the one that was on the treated side, uh, did as well as it could for a, pl- a tree that just fell from... From, from, <laughs> from a helicopter rocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... and re- what it just it, it planted itself in the ground, or, or, or you just, just looked around for a hole? Hey, there! <laughs> just just hit that. It's funny, and it's funny because I mean, as we know, trees take a long time to die or to to take. Right. So it's just like, how much time were they sitting there watching it as this other one was withering away, and the other and the and this one, you know, didn't wither away? That's what the, that's that's where they were basing their success on. So, I don't right. know. It seemed like the, they should have had a little more long-term success than five seconds or whatever it took. To Agreed. But come on. That's a story. You got to get going. got to get going. You got to get gotta going. To jump yeah. in front of a bullet. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah, thought his, is... his character arc was weird. He goes it from, I'll weird. kill Kirk, to I'm going to jump in front of the bullet. Yeah. And he started out be, as being uh, perceived as a rich whelp. And then you find out, oh, well, he's not that bad a guy. And then you find out, no, he's kind of a rich whelp who just mm. isn't going to stick around long. And he's going to let you know about it. And I'm right. not going to do any more than I have to. So he was kind of oscillating. And then he kept on oscillating towards the end when he finally jumped in front of the bullet. So very odd character. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. But at least, at least Kirk didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. One of those universal constants. Uh, main characters don't die in general unless you get to uh, Wrath of Khan and Into Darkness. Even they didn't die for long. Exactly. Well, like superheroes, death for a superhero is just a temporary state, usually. That's true. Eventually, they will come back. Just give it a little time. Yeah, the old rule of thumb was unless you're Uncle Ben or uh, Jason Todd, which was the second Robin, you mm-hmm. know, for years, my whole life. You know, my whole life, but for years of collecting comic books, that was always the two staples. Uncle Ben always has to be dead, and Jason Todd always has to be dead. But <laughs> about 15 years ago, they brought Jason Todd back, so <laughs> ah! so now it's just Uncle Ben. <laughs> right, now it's just Uncle Ben. Right, and he's really not a very, I mean, he's an important character in Spider-Man, but not exactly a central one. Right. Exactly, Not not as much pull to get him to come back. You want to know my favorite part of this issue? Mm, yes, of course. And I also want to comment on this. There is a character named Davi, who is the woman in the red turban 
that meets Kirk and the whelp when they oh. land. Yeah. And then uh, he's basically showing them around and stuff. So it's like, uh, okay. And then you look at her outfit. The bathing suit. The bathing suit with the transparent I Dream of Genie leggings. Oh, anyway. I didn't even notice that. I thought, oh, I yeah. thought she just was wearing a bathing suit. Yeah. So there's oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it now. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay, so, it shows. yeah. <laughs> not, not all it shows. So there's a thing where she's standing behind Kirk and the other guy when the, the malicious guys are, are coming up and, and saying things. Mm-hmm. And that's a bathing suit. And it's cut really high. And the bottom of her butt cheeks are hanging out. And it's like, she's got great legs, of course, and the transparent legging things I just talked about. And of course, it's a bathing suit, so her her back is, is pretty exposed, and her shoulders and things like that. And it's like, wow, Roddenberry would dig this comic. So, I mean, there's absolutely no reason to do that. I mean, she's supposed to be representing the people right. of this world. And you have a bathing beauty with her butt cheeks hanging out. Ugh. Sexist. Yeah, I, I wish that, you know, the leaders would have been wearing berets and speedos. Then at least <laughs> they would have been consistent. Yeah, I know. But the leaders are bald and kind of thick. And it's like, I would not have enjoyed this comic if that was the case. Yeah, so the builders, I didn't mention this, the builders have a very, like, Romanesque type look to them whereas the returners look very like green beret army type more you know contemporary army type right style yep and then the guides as you said are wearing uh, bathing suits and the chefs wear chef wear the uniform <laughs> exactly so basically the clothing informs you a lot about the people and the kind of people they are and the one lady, the only lady we see from this civilization, is basically a sex symbol. I mean, they, they just say, okay, we, we, don't, the only thing we, need, we don't need to say anything about her. We just have to make her look hot. Right. And she does, but it's like... <sighs> well, that is consistent with a lot of the episodes of Star Trek. Well, exactly. That's, that's my Roddenberry thing. Yeah, I yes. get it. Roddenberry get... would have dug this. <laughs> I mean, every time I saw... Every time you have a, a lady in a really revealing outfit, it's like Roddenberry had something to do with that. I can guarantee it. Anyway. We haven't talked about it, but what do you think about them turning into skeletons? Or for some reason, they're... You turn transparent? Yeah. Their muscles and skin became transparent or on part of their faces and part of their arms. And then eventually they would completely turn invisible. Doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> I mean, before as far they as, died, before as you far die, as sickness goes. Uh, yeah. Turning invisible doesn't sound as bad as you know having your, you know, having horrible blisters and stuff and things like yeah. that that happens when you really start taking radiation damage. Right. I think because of the reality of it, of what radiation really does to people, that isn't very pleasant. And comic books are a very visual medium, so if somehow you can show your hero with a partial skeleton face, that's, that'll get your attention. So I'm sure that's why they did it. Right. And it looks cool. I like it. It looks cool. Yeah. I thought it was cool. And then you see, uh, you know, gents holding the gun and stuff and you can see the gun through the bones. I liked it. I thought it was really cool. 
Right. It didn't make sense, but it was cool. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. It's it's like a J.J. Abrams movie. As long as it's cool, don't have to make sense. And that's my actual last comment about the issue itself. I have no more comments either. But, but I, I, just... did, I did want to make one comment about yes. an ad. Oh, an ad. Yes. And this okay. will Which mean one? absolutely nothing to anybody except for me and my sister who will never listen to this. Bug off? Nah, the okay. Whitman card games. Oh, 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 I see. Card games from Whitman. Okay, yes. Crazy yeah. Eights. So we had the Go Fish one, that green one, and oh. the uh, Old Maid one, which was the, the fifth one on that. The light blue or something? Yeah. Yeah, those were the Go, the Go Fish and the Old Maid cards we had as a kid. Oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah. I, and I totally forgot about them until I was reading this issue, and then I saw that picture of that Old Maid, and I was like, oh, my God, we had those. <sighs> That's great. That was how we played Old Maid. That's how happy, I learned. Happy memories from childhood. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Goldie. I thought it was cool. That's yeah, great. but I, I never saw a bug off, but it looks kind of disgusting, and I could, <laughs> I could totally see them bringing it back now. <laughs> yeah. As uh, recycling old ideas seem to be uh, more prevalent than interesting new ideas. Right. And the gross stuff is really popular now. You know, there's that one game where you're not, they have like fake poo and you're supposed to not step on it. (laughs) So it's like, you have like a hopscotch or like a, it's not really a hopscotch. It's more like, like almost like a a twister board. Right. Put put fake, fake poo in one of the squares. And then (sighs) the goal is to get through it without stepping in the fake poo. Yeah. My kids were like, I want this so bad. And I'm like, that's so stupid. (laughs) Uh oh! You stepped in the poo. I can see the commercial now. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! So I think fly guts would be pretty good too. (sighs) Let's let's bring back bug off. Okay, sounds good. All right. So shall we go on to Professor Whippy? Oh God! Yes, issue fifty-one. Destination annihilation. Good thing about this one is it it's a new story. I, I don't think there's any callbacks to anything from the past. Uh, yeah, and we get introduced to a new character as he sounds like a recurring character the way he's presented, but I've never seen him before. So uh, am I wrong? Did, we haven't seen him before in Gold Key, have we? Uh, no, not that I remember. Okay, so this is the professor. We'll find out more about him in a, in, in a few minutes. This one published date is March 1978. George Cashdan is the writer, and Alden McWilliams is the art. The cover. The ghostly image of an old human balding-on-top guy with fuzzy white donut around the side and fuzzy sideburns is looking on with concern as two very different-looking spaceships are facing off against each other. One is a flying saucer-shaped thing with the registry Mazda R-517. And the second ship looks more like a conventional rockets kind of sorta, and it has a registry number of A R I M A dash R five one seven. So the the numbers at the end are the same, but the beginning's different. So it's like, huh? Okay. The Enterprise is beneath them and in the background, as if it is not a participant in the face-off, but might get drawn into the fight just the same. Orange and yellow lettering invites the reader to meet. An interplanetary disaster. 
Professor Whipple. Wah, wah, wah. So Professor Whipple, I guess, is the ghostly guy. And actually, it is the ghostly guy. I, I read this already. Captain's Log reports Enterprise has been dispatched to a peacekeeping mission in Solar System R-517. Hmm, 517. There are two neighboring planets of Arima huh, and Mazda, not as in the car, although they're spelled the same, are in a millennials long holy war against each other. Holy war. Isn't that always great to get religion into things? From primitive times with stone knives and bearskins to the present with spaceships, their unproductive religious hatred for each other has gone on unchecked. Unchecked until the Federation got involved. We pulled an Organian peace treaty, apparently, on them and imposed peace between them at the barrel of a phaser bank. That, or they would no longer be part of the Federation. Huh. These guys are actually part of the Federation. Hmm. Kirk reports the planets have been pacified for now, but in a few hours, the time of his arrival will begin. Kirk does not explain further, as they are interrupted by Sulu on the bridge reporting man-made metal object moving up and away from the planet Quaraxus. So apparently they're by Quaraxus all of a sudden. Kirk remembers that Professor Osric Whipple lives on Quaraxis, which tells Kirk the potential source of the electromagnetic fields that is spewing metal into space. Kirk and Spock beam down to a huge facility on Quaraxis, where they find the professor unconscious on the floor, surrounded by huge transformers. Kirk tends to the professor while Spock examines the huge machine and eventually turns it off. It turns out the professor's machine was meant to send out a beam strong enough to deflect asteroids and comets away from habited planets, but apparently something went very wrong. The local police arrive at Professor Tony Stark's Malibu home to arrest him for endangering the public. Spock does a double nerve pinch, and all three beam back to the ship. He does it on the cops. Kirk makes it clear that he owes the professor much given he has invented systems on board the Enterprise and other ships that saved his life. So the professor apparently developed deflectors technology. With the professor temporarily on the ship, Kirk tells Sulu to set course for R-517 Warp 5. They have been delayed, but have to get to the two planets before the time of his arrival. The professor and everyone else reading this comic at this point wants to know what the heck that is. Kirk and Spock explain it's the time when both the Mazdans and Arimans, gods, Grolgar and Vengual, will appear to lead their followers into a battle royale to end all battles. Ragnarok, if you will. The professor addresses Spock directly, saying he surely does not believe Spock would go along with all this unscientific doctrine. Spock responds, saying he does not. However, even if the two gods do not show up, both planets are mobilized for war, a war that could wipe out both sides. They arrive at the Ariman planet first. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to the main temple where the god Vengual is expected to materialize on a specially prepared throne. Having witnessed Mr. Scott beaming down Kirk and the others, 
Professor Whipple gets it into his head to replicate the entire transporter functionality in a tricorder, specifically a tricorder that Mr. Spock happens to leave behind when he departs the transporter room. Meanwhile, on Arima, Kirk reminds the leader of the Ariman people that if they attack Mazda, he will call in the Starfleet detachment that will neutralize the conflict. The professor activates his new invention, as one is apt to do, and he transports himself in a very trippy, psychedelic way onto the throne of the god Grolgar on the planet Mazda. The Mazdan leader, wearing a ridiculous purple hat, rushes to the throne and proclaims that Grolgar has arrived as per scripture. He orders the fleet to get underway to Arima and commence the attack. God is on their side and will ensure their victory. Rather than trying to explain he is not a god, the professor gets nervous and thinks he's going to get into trouble. So he uses his modified tricorder to transport himself back to the Enterprise, but shucks, he finds himself transported to a different throne. He hears the leader of the Ureman people proclaim that Vengual has arrived as foretold by scripture. He orders his fleet to attack Mazda. Kirk tries to make them see reason, but Spock says their current emotional state makes any attempts at persuasion futile. All four of them beam back to the Enterprise. From the Enterprise, they can see the two massive fleets of ships on intercept courses for each other. Kirk orders Uhura to make contact with the two fleets' flagships, but to no avail. Kirk orders deflector shields to be raised to protect the ship from potential crossfire. The professor feels terrible about the trouble he has put Captain Kirk in and the slaughter unfolding before his eyes, so he gets the idea to use his expertise in electromagnetic fields to erect a force shield between the two fleets that will repel the onrushing ships. The professor steals a shuttlecraft that he flies to a specific point and then activates rushed modifications to the shuttle systems that suck power from the Enterprise's shields and projects an EM wall between the two fleets. However, instead of deflecting the ships, it draws them to the EM wall. Rather than exploding when they hit the wall at high velocities, they are stuck to the wall and immobilized. Kirk orders Scotty to beam Whipple back to the safety of the Enterprise, but due to his own EM wall messing with the transporter signal, the professor is partially reintegrated as an energy apparition. The Mazdan and Ariman leaders can see what they think is their god that appeared earlier on their respective thrones. Whipple is most disconcerted at this predicament and shouts for help to put an end to this nonsense. He asks when the ridiculous predicament will end. The two leaders can hear the professor over the radio somehow and interpret his words as their gods chastising them for the conflict between their two people. Scotty figures out a way to complete the transport and saves the professor. As their gods vanish, the two leaders signal each other, sowing for peace. Later, as the Enterprise is traveling to Quaraxis to return the professor, Kirk tells the professor the authorities on his world have dropped all charges due to his heroism to stop the war of the twin worlds. 
Kirk makes the professor promise to never again engage in unauthorized experiments. Don't you do that. The professor is relieved and then almost immediately turns to the modified transporter tricorder thinking he can fix the bug that caused this device to go awry. Shocked and to some degree amused, Kirk and company just look on. Wah, 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 wah. The end. Yeah, this was a gold key issue. <laughs> yes, a gold key issue to end all gold key issues, yes. It was all over the place. It was all over the place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the good-hearted, slip-minded, or... Uh, Absent-minded scatterbrained, professor. Abs- exactly, that's exactly what I was looking for. Absent-minded Professor Whipple. Right. Who kind of looked like, what was his name? William Bradfrey? Uh, what, what's his name? The diabetes guy that we talked about. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Only with longer hair. Yeah. On the, on the side. So he's got very fuzzy hair. So he almost, he, he looks a bit like him. Ben and Franklin, he also, guess, Ben Franklin, exactly. He looks like Ben Franklin, definitely. Yeah. Wilford Brimley, that's the name. Wilfred Brimley. Right. Who I did not know died either. He, he was on the, uh, the 2020 Emmys oh, Remembrance he just, Wall. he just died this year? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, wow. Hmm. He was such, uh, he was a heavy man, and he had diabetes, apparently, or diabetes. And, well, good for him for surviving, I mean, for living that long, because he must be pretty old by now. Right. So, there you go. They, I, he, was, he was checking his finger and keeping up with his blood sugar, I guess. That's too bad. Uh, he, w- he was pretty good in the few things I saw him in. Right. That wasn't a diabetes commercial. <laughs> what, The Thing and uh, the Ewok movie, those were his best movies. Wasn't he also in uh, a Gremlins movie? Mm, not that I know of. Oh, he was in Cocoon. That was that was probably his. Oh, one. Cocoon. Okay, right. So he was like, yes. So he was the one of the older versions when they all became young again. Uh, no, Cocoon? he was one of the yeah. When he was one of the people in the nursing home that that started right. using the the Cocoon to right. feel young. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. No, we're talking about this. This gold key gold. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I might have vegged out a few times while reading this, just because it was just like I don't know. None of it makes sense. So don't think about it. Just keep going. Yeah. Don't don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So two two planets that. Okay, well, hold. Okay, so what's really kind of hard to believe, so I'm just, there are many things that are hard to believe, but one thing that's hard for me to believe is you've got these two people that both developed on one planet, and they've been warring ever since they were like uh, cavemen or something, or, you know, they, they got clubs and they, they're in loincloths and whatever. And all through their history, to the point that they were able to have the technology to venture out into space. They hated each other and were constantly, well, at least it, it seems like they were constantly at war. And then one of the two factions decides to relocate, I guess all their people, to a second planet that they're able to get to now that they have enough technology. And now they still hate each other. Yeah, and they must be really close because it seems like they share moons. I, I, 
Oh, they there's share a, moons? That's a, that's not possible. Well, there's a... You're telling me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the... Uh, I guess it's the third page. Uh, yeah. It shows a little diagram of planet A and planet M, and then it shows the, how the four moons uh, kind of crisscross oh, between the two planets. Wow. You're right. Yeah, okay. That diagram. Boy, that's right. dumb. Yeah. So they're binary planets. I mean, the planets... Uh, they yes. must circle each other. They must circle each other. Wow! While they're circling, that is so unlikely. Their sun with four moons circling. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that is something. So binary stars. I've heard of those. I've never heard of binary planets. I. Mm. Okay. Maybe maybe that's a thing. Maybe. <laughs> it is. It is in Star Trek world now. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Remus and Romulus were binary planets, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, were they? They they, they rotated no, around each were other. They just, were they just planets that were close to each other? I, I, I think they're they were both in the same star system. So it'd be like well, they, they were definitely in the same star system. Mars same and same Earth. System. Okay. I I hope so. God, I hope so. <laughs> or else that's that's ruined for me. Also, then. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. So yeah, so these planets are you could see each, you could see the planet pretty clearly from from one planet to the other. So yeah, they just rocket shipped one tribe to the other one. Yeah, I, I think they're trying to imply you know it's like you know pilgrims leaving leaving one continent to go to another continent. Sure, and still having their same hatred. Right. Yeah. I, I, at the beginning, I kind of dug the story. I was like, okay, all right, I can see where they're going. And then I'll tell you where I lost it. It was when Kirk says, "Oh, that's close to Professor Whipple. Let's just swing by and pick him up, or whatever." And I'm like, ah! "This ah! no, I'm out. Well, I'm out." <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, I didn't even see that much. I no, mean, they really? were they they were talking about having to get to uh, the twin, the, the, that solar system where the, the Mazdans and stuff are. Mm-hmm. And Kirk begins to say something about the time of the arrival or whatever that was. And then boop, Sulu calls him from the bridge saying, you know, all the, all this metal is coming up from, from the planet. And it's like, Whoa, wait a minute. You were at a planet or, or you were traveling on the way to get to these solar systems. And you just happened to come close enough to a solar system that you saw all this this space junk was coming up. Uh, uh. I mean, the only thing that possibly makes any sense is they happened to be in that solar system when they got the when they got the assignment. Right. To go to, that's the only thing that makes any sense. But yeah, so but they saw the battle going up, and they're like, "Hey, this is Professor Whipple's planet." Nah. And yes, then they exactly. beam down to talk to him, and they're like, "Sure enough, he's the reason why it's happening." Yeah, and they they knew where he was apparently. Um, or, or maybe they, they followed the source of the strong electromagnetism. I, I don't know. Right. But the whole thing's all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Then I thought it was funny when the, uh, authorities, yeah. you know, came in and obviously Mr. Whipple is doing something wrong, yeah. but instead of trying to discuss it with the authorities, Spock just does a double nerve pinch and then mm-hmm. you're like, all right, Whipple, we got you out of this one. You have to come with us now. And I'm just like, this is all over the place and I checked out. Yeah. yeah. And it continued being wacky. Right. Um, I so was, was it written what, by the same guy? No, I it's think a different person. George, is it a different writer? George Cashton. 
Oh, right. Yeah. Yep, George Cashton. We don't see him that often, do we? I don't recognize the name. Yeah. Okay, so they're trying to establish a, a recurring character, I guess, on the, oh, he, the, he, actually, the Absent-Minded he wrote, Professor he wrote template. The, uh, he wrote the, the companion episode. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, they can't all be winners. <laughs> all right, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. The only thing in this story that gave me any surprise, although it really shouldn't when I look back on it, is when Whipple ends up Wacky Whipple, ends up transporting himself into the first throne. I don't know why that surprised me. It shouldn't surprise me, given everything else I read in this issue so far. But that surprised me. And then, of course, once that happened, it's like, well, I knew everything else that was going to happen. Or so I thought. Uh, The whole idea of him being transported and then, you know, being partially rematerialized and then being big enough that the two factions can see him physically... You know, his ghost-like apparition? Sure. Why not? <laughs> um, I, I really wasn't expecting that, but given the cover and given all the other things happening in this, this whacked-out story, sure, why not? Yeah. The only positive thing I have to say is uh, I kind of like the crown ships. Ships that oh. look like upside-down crowns with a, okay. a glass dome on top. Yeah. Something so, you don't see every day. No, you don't see it every day. So it's it's a spa- it's it's a flying saucer, mm-hmm. but it's got the little things on the bottom coming out that does look like a crown, and it's gold. It's golden color, yeah. right? And then the other ships, the other planet ships, look like hypodermic needles. Which <laughs> I was like, that is a very weird shape. Yeah, it even has like the syringe like handle and stuff, and the long pointy thing. It's a, it's a needle. It's a, it's a it's it's a shot. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, especially with some of the shots or some of the some of the drawings from a distance mm-hmm. and from certain angles, you definitely see that. But it's more of a it's more of a, a traditional like rocket ship configuration. They wanted to make sure that there was no confusion: which ones are the Mazdans and which ones are the uh, are Remans. In right. all cases, so right. the ships look totally different. Okay, no way we're going to get this confused. The two leaders, the one guy is completely bald, no facial hair. The other guy, he's got facial hair, he's got, you know, partially balding on top. And at other times they're wearing hats, ridiculous hats, the, the particular people representing Aremans. Ridiculous hats, clown hats, purple hats, and the hats are different. So you know you're not going to confuse them there either. So at every point of the way, if you could get confused with these people, they, they went out of the way to make sure you didn't. And actually, that probably was a good thing. Uh, but that purple hat is really stupid looking. And, and what, what has he got? A, a, purp, a purple, or, or maybe that's red, red and black striped T-shirt? I, okay. Yeah. The leaders of a, of a whole planet is wearing a T-shirt and a purple clown hat. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's one way to look at it. Yeah, his attire did not bother me. It, it looked, uh, Typical but, for Colby. But now, that you, now that I look at it, it is a t-shirt that he's wearing a cape with. You don't wear capes with t-shirts. Cape. Everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Fashion faux pas. I'm sorry. Anyways, what else do you have to say? Because I really don't have anything. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I have, I have one last thing to say. Right. Um, they depicted shields in one of the drawings. So they showed the Enterprise 
with their shields up, or they called them deflectors mostly, when all that metal was coming up from the planet near, right. near the beginning. Yeah. And, and I thought it was interesting the way they had the, the shield depicted. We've talked before about, I like it the way TNG does, where there's like, like, a, like a, an egg, <laughs> like a round uh, eggshell of energy around the Enterprise D. Right. And uh, you like more the way where the shields are like just above the, the, the hull. Right. So, but this is somewhere in between. So this one, the, the shield is further away from the hull. But it's conforming to the kind of outline of the Enterprise. Right. And it's very swirly and, you know, it's not, not well defined. So I, th- I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Different. Haven't seen that before. That's all I have to say. How <laughs> <laughs> about this one? All right. So what are we doing next week, Ken? Well, let's go back for a little taste of UK comics. Since we did 25 through 27 last time, we're going to do 28, 29, and 30 next time. Cool. So we got up to 50 in Gold Key, and we'll be up to 30 in UK. Making some good progress. Loving those 70s. (laughs) Yes. Some of the best examples of Star Trek stories, and we are just bathing in them. Bathing. So, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. I think we're pretty close to finishing volume two of the the hardcovers of the UK strips, so we're making pretty good progress there. Excellent, excellent. Star Trek news. We're going to talk about Star Trek news? Well, just briefly. Okay. I saw a video that said supposedly Bad Robot said no more Star Trek movies. Uh, Paramount just wants to focus on the TV shows. I saw so... that headline, but I did not read it. Yeah, well, I don't. I I saw a YouTuber that was commenting on it, and he was so busy commenting, giving his own take on things that I didn't have the details. He didn't present the details. So, but it sounds like with the COVID thing, movies. I mean, what Tenet is in the movie theaters right now? I don't think it's doing well. I don't think people are flocking back. So maybe, it, but in the meantime, TV of various different forms, whether it be Netflix or Amazon Video or HBO or whatever, uh, or traditional broadcast networks. I mean, their viewership is up because no one's going anywhere. No one's leaving the house. So I guess all that makes sense to focus on TV. But, um, I mean, you can make a movie and, you know, stream the movie to a house. You can do that too. You don't have to be in a movie theater, but I guess that's expensive. Um, anyway, so I really hope someday we are able to see, I would love to see that Tarantino script someday, and I would like to see what Noah Hawley, what his script is like that he's been working on for Star Trek. So, so maybe they'll just do a comic book adapt- adaptation of it. <laughs> maybe. I, I don't want that, though. I want to see the stories. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see. What happens? So the thing I did watch was that. Um, with and by COVID, the way, all that's rumors. Right, right, right. So, but even with COVID and everything, that you know they they have to have higher insurance for uh, actors, uh-huh. and how Picard would it's going to be really hard to make because he's uh, so old. Because he's so old, and yeah. that uh, it would be hard for them to get insurance to make a, a second season. Wow. 
Hmm, I have not heard about that. And I, I never thought of that angle that they have to worry about. Is he going to make it? Is is he going to, would he make it through filming a, third, a second season? Well, when you've got your main character in his 80s, that's a, that's a valid concern. Yeah, in the best of times, that's a valid concern. Yeah, and and these times even worse. Wow. Right. Yeah, I never <sighs> thought about that before, but it it's. I makes never thought think. about that either. Hmm. So hopefully, uh, hopefully something comes up. Um, they were saying more animation stuff might might happen. Hmm. But uh, we'll see. Hmm. Or more deep fake. And by oh, the way, yeah. thank thank you for forwarding that forwarding me the link to that uh, video, YouTube video. So that was fascinating. So yeah, I found a YouTube video that had somebody putting, replacing J.J. Abrams' crew with the original yeah. cast uh, of Kirk, Spock, <clears throat> Yeah, putting their face on Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, and uh, Carl Urban. Very interesting. Uh, I gotta say that I've never seen McCoy look that good. <laughs> Looking pretty burly there, Bones. Yeah, anyway. I never realized how much bigger uh, he is than because McCoy was always a tiny little tiny dude. So. Yeah, on the skinny side. That, that yeah, not overly skinny. I mean, not Don Knotts skinny, but you know, not yeah, not a big guy. Good point. Don Knotts was really skinny. He was a skinny guy, but he 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 made the best of it. What uh, what God gave him. So. You're you're kind of funny looking, aren't you? Yes, he he is, and he's doing well with it. So. Uh, I always liked him. Yeah, yeah, he was good. Anything else in, uh, in Star Trek uh, land to to say? I, I can't think of anything. I have uh, seen no. Okay. Uh, looking forward to Discovery season three. Me too. We're coming to an end. How many more episodes do we have of Lower Decks? Um, I don't think I don't many. Know. Not that many. So was the last one the seventh or eighth? I think it was the eighth. Eighth, okay. Yeah. So yeah, not not too many. I think I think uh, Discovery starts around Halloween or something. So about four more weeks. Okay. Cool, and I'm I'm really hoping they do well with this season. So, of course. I, always, I mean, they've, I they've, they've, they've they've had their time to you know work out the kinks. So let's see a good season three. Okay, that's it. All right, sounds good. Okay. Sounds, sounds like we got a plan for next episode. So thanks, everybody, for joining us for episode 328. See you next time on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starT comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here